What's up, principals, and welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. I'm a principal. I'm your host. And this is the podcast that, as you all know, is all about principals and school leadership all of the time, because that is just what we do. And school leadership is so important. You are in for a treat today with my guests. We have a middle school principal. And if I just think back to my time as a middle school student. Thank you to my principals. It is such an important time in school. And it's also just, it's a hard time and a funny time for kids. So thank you to the people out there that are doing the work. All the way from Memphis, Tennessee, Frederick White. Frederick, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you for having me, Adam. I appreciate you. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I wish I hit record. Before. I, I should just start hitting record right when I come on with people because we always have this kind of beforehand, just kind of chit chat about it. And there's always, always just like great nuggets about leadership and mentoring and, and just different things. But Frederick, for the people that don't know who you are, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, just kind of give us the lowdown of Frederick. Sure, sure. Um, I'm uh, Dr. Frederick White. Uh, I am a middle school principal in Memphis, Tennessee with Shelby County Schools. Um, I've been in administration for uh, the last uh, 15 years. Um, with that 15 years, I've been at the elementary level and the middle school level. Uh, so I've really gotten to see what the development looks like from kindergarten to eighth grade. High school is not my thing. I will never be there. So uh, that's one of the pieces that makes me who I am. I love my seventh graders now. So I've been in middle school for the last 10 years now. Uh, middle school uh, scholars and professors for me are everything. They are that foundation that gets our kids ready for you know, being high school, going to college. So I love that vibe. I also do some presenting with uh, AVID, which is Advancement Via Individual Determination, uh, which itself is a, a group that works with our kids in the middle uh, to help them get where they need to be. I love the AVID program, uh, great people working in that. Other things about me, um, I've authored one book, co-authored another uh, with my wife, uh, who is brilliant. Uh, she'll probably be mad at me because I don't think I have either book in reach uh, uh, to give the, uh, the hashtags or whatever. She normally sets that up. So uh, I'll definitely make sure that, you know, when we finish, I, you know, give you that so we can uh, post somewhere. But other than that, I'm a father, a husband, love uh, being in education, nothing like it. Never thought about being in anything other than education. So, you know, this is where I am. This is where I live, breathe, eat, uh, and survive. Yeah, I love that you brought, first off, shout out, shout out to the wife, uh, all the spouses out there of all the school leaders. It is a, um, it's a demanding job. And thank you to everybody for supporting your school leader in your life. I love that you talked about the articulation um, from middle school, elementary school, you know, high school and all back and forth. I have long thought that there needs to be more of that cross articulation. I can remember years ago when I was an elementary principal, I had an idea in my district that I wanted to go be the high school principal for like a week and they would come to be the principal at my school. And then, you know, the middle school, we would kind of do like a shuffle and then debrief because you don't know until you know, you know, like you, you think, you know, but you don't, what right. has 
What has that done working K-8? What does the articulation look like? What do you wish more districts did with uh, articulation through the grade levels for school leaders to make our schools more connected so we can walk in the shoes of a high school principal? Frederick, I know you said high school is not your place, but you could benefit from right. being in, in the high school for a week, you know, know. just, just to see what it's like, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I definitely believe that we have to have that piece in there where, especially for administrators, uh, we do spend some time in different grade levels. So if I'm a middle school principal, I definitely need to see what the kids that are coming to me, uh, what the leadership looks like in the elementary level, you know, what things are being asked of our scholars at that level, the, what the instructors are being asked to do at that level, not just the curriculum, but how, how they're nurturing the scholars at the elementary level so that I bring that over to the middle school and I'm able to sort of, you know, nurture them from that point where they enter at. Uh, we always talk about differentiation, and I think we have to be um, use that term when we are looking at our scholars coming in from different elementary schools, uh, and they're coming to us not knowing really what middle school is going to be about. And some people take that hard approach, hey, this is middle school now, this is not for babies, you know, but I think you have to have that bridge. And what we have we actually have our own <clears throat> bridge program at my school, um, even when it's not paid for by our district. Uh, we'll have a bridge program uh, to sort of nurture our kids that are coming from sixth grade, I'm, I'm sorry, fifth grade, to see what sixth grade is going to look like for them. So I think everybody should have that, uh, that big eye, that big mindset, so they can see the entire spectrum. Uh, I benefit from the high school, which is maybe a couple of blocks from me, getting the opportunity to go down, have conversations with the counselors there, the administrators there, to see what my scholars are doing when they leave me, so that I can make sure that I'm preparing them for that journey. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not failing to equip them with what they need uh, when they leave me. A lot of my parents always say, well, I really wish that you guys were a high school so that we can, you know, sort of transition them with a little bit more ease. I said, well, don't worry. We have communications with our high school leaders so that they know what my students look like at my school. Uh, so they know how to uh, sort of nurture what we've already ingrained into our kids so they can, you know, sort of foster that that growth that is in them already and just keep turning it until uh, our students realize their full potential. So you're definitely right. I think you have to have a view of the entire spectrum. I wish that systems would make this a requirement that, hey, I, if you're a principal at a middle school, I think you need to do some cross training at an elementary or at least some observations at an elementary so you can see what it's like also with the high school level. So uh, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I don't think too many people will, you know, dive into that idea in central office uh, because once again, for a lot of central office people, not saying mine, uh, but for a lot of central office people, time is money and they are not willing to put that time investment into there. Uh, I think that is one of the ideas, but we have the freedom in our district to, you know, go out and sort of audit if we choose uh, to see what's going on in our feeder patterns. I think so. Yes to all of that. And for the, for the principals that are listening, 
you know, don't overthink what that shadowing, what that articulation could look like. Maybe you just go spend a day with than another principal or half a day at a different building level. You know, I'm glad you brought up about the central office a couple of years ago, three, maybe three years ago, I wrote a blog post because I was at the central office. I was a director at a large school district. We had 50 schools, 35,000 students. And I, I, I was looking around me at my colleagues and I, they just spent most of their time in their offices at central office. And I wrote a blog post, district leaders get out of your office. And I think it's even more imperative for central office people to just take your phone and spend an entire day, one, one day a week in schools, because you're making decisions that are directly impacted. And when you see the programs and talk to the, the students and the principals and the teachers, and that, yes, it costs time, but that's so much better than spending a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars on a program that maybe is not what you need because you haven't just been visible. And then you just get to have conversations and who wants to spend time in their office anyways, get out of your office and, and be visible. Now, Frederick, you've been in the leadership game for a while. What is your advice to people that are trying to get that first leadership job? Maybe it's a, maybe it's an assistant principal. Maybe it's a principal shit. Maybe it's just like a, um, you are going to be a department chair, which is a leadership job in, in, in itself. What advice would you give to people that are, are trying to get, get, that first, get that first crack at it? Uh, I guess I think the uh, first piece I would tell them is don't go into a job with so much desire that the job doesn't fit you and you still want it. Uh, I tell people on interviews, uh, any interview that I've ever been on, I want you to find the best person for the job. If I'm not the best person for the job, if you interview someone and they're, you know, they have uh, better pieces uh, for your puzzle at your building or uh, for this position, then you should go with them. Uh, I'm not so arrogant that I think that I'm the best at everything. I think that we need to know when we first start off on this journey of being administrators or being in leadership in any facet, uh, we have to self-reflect first. We have to make sure that we have all of the qualities needed for that leadership position. Uh, some of the things that we will embark on are we will get in training, we will get it in transit. Uh, but some of those things must be um, uh, already embedded in us. They already have to uh, be formed for us. So if I have a person who's saying, hey, I want to get into administration, uh, you know, well, you know, what should I do? You know, uh, we'll tell them first, you know, what does your coursework look like? What uh, professional development have you taken? Uh, which peers have you observed? Uh, which other leaders have you talked to? You know, if you have you been through any leadership programs, all of this, you know, what have you uh, listened to as far as podcasts or read books that tell you that you're ready for this? You know, and, and if they can't answer those questions, then I would tell them, hold on, go back and start looking at that. So you haven't done a lot of self-reflection. You haven't uh, made sure that you are the best person for a leadership position. I don't want people around my kids that don't know how to be leaders and they're in a leadership position. You've heard those principals that all they can do or APs or, um, or, 
or managers or deans or whatever, they, you know, get kids to do what they want them to do by yelling uh, or uh, by threats. And I tell my people all the time, <clears throat> that's definitely not the way that you want to do it. Uh, my kids will tell you, hey, you know when Mr. White is serious because you can barely hear him when he's serious. So we get really quiet so we can make sure we understand what he's saying because there are some consequences that we don't follow uh, his uh, instructions. So I, I think you just have to make sure that you uh, study, that you research, that you look into the position you're going into and just make sure that you go into it with an open heart. Uh, and this is not, you know, necessarily business is hard work. So I think we have to make sure that we go into leadership, especially when it's around kids with uh, our hearts and our kids in mind. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more on that. And I'll just add something that we were talking about before we went on the show was mentorship and, and mentors. And to go a little bit deeper, you know, we were talking about leadership programs and our experiences and the pluses and minuses and not to get you know, not to get super deep into that, but I would tell people is uh, find the most uh, inexpensive leadership program that you can save the money. Don't take out student loans like Adam Welcome did and find a good mentor, you know, read some education books. If you need titles, just go back and listen to the other 54 episodes of this podcast because people drop many recommendations and spend some time on Twitter. Yeah. With that being said, I think the mentorship is the most important uh, hallmark of that because I know my first principal when I was a teacher, he was a great guy. I just didn't learn a lot from him as a mentor. We got a new principal and she just saw something in me. She knew I had my admin credential. I had this leadership uh, goals and she just, she took me under her wing that is what I found the right mentor for me. So talk about that. I mean, talk about you being a mentor, talk about uh, you having a mentor. What is, what's your, what's your advice? What's your experience, Frederick? I mean, how has it changed your life? Who was that mentor that really got to where you were? I mean, I've had a few mentors. I don't even think we just need one. I think we should, we should have multiple mentors in our life. What are your thoughts about that? So I, I definitely uh, like what you said about the uh, the mentor piece, and you, you were talking about you know the titles of books to read, and that's the one thing that always um, used to get to me. That when you, I understand if somebody gets into a good book and it gives them something, but I, I want you to know the practice of the book. I want you to know the the content of the book, not necessarily just hey, give me this title because I I actually sat down with someone with. Uh, for an interview, and they were just dropping all these titles, but they didn't understand the concepts that the authors were talking about. So, you know, that's why I love going, you know, have them, hey, hit Twitter, hit podcasts, do these things, because that way you can listen and hear the content and not just say that, hey, I've read this book. Uh, but jumping on the mentor piece, uh, I definitely believe that a good mentor is what every leader needs. You have to, you know, I think that's one of your uh, basic starting points. I was blessed myself to have a great principal uh, when I started my uh, term as an AP. Well, I've had two great principals, uh, one uh, Eric Cooper and one uh, young man named Kevin Malone. Uh, I learned the most under my uh, uh, under the latter of the two because he really allowed me to 
get in trouble. And when I say get in trouble, I mean, he, he allowed me to step out on ledges uh, uh, and provide a safety net, but he allowed me to make that walk. And when you mess up, a good mentor will say, hey, you know, don't beat yourself up, but learn from it. Uh, so I, I definitely believe that I've been blessed with mentors that have been in education uh, for a number of years, number of different areas. Uh, I've I had mentors that were superintendents. Uh, we have a good leadership person in our district now. Uh, we, we're under the platform of ILDs. Uh, which are our instructional leaders for our zones. Uh, and our ILD really allows us as uh, principals when we get together to sort of lean on each other. So you'll find that a mentor is not only somebody that comes in and teaches you the ropes or someone that's in a level above you, but sometimes you will find your peers uh, also as great mentors and you can start seeing, you know, what this person has done, this person has done, this person has done and actually be able to achieve more because you open yourself up to these individuals. Um, one of the weakest points of a person is thinking that they know more than everybody else and that they don't need as much mentorship uh, as they really do. Uh, I've never, I've always thought that to be a great leader, and I know this is probably your thought also, have people in the room that are smarter than you. Uh, so I've always tried to make sure that anybody that I could see as being uh, a possible future mentor to me or to individuals on my staff, if I had the opportunity to hire them, uh, they were a shoe-in. I think that everyone has to find that person that pushes them that allows them to grow, uh, but also gives them uh, harsh, not, I won't say harsh, but crucial feedback when needed. Uh, because when we do stupid things, and we will all do stupid things at some point, we need somebody there to point that out and say, hey, you should have tried this, or did you try this before you went down that avenue? Next time, try this, or next time, try this. So uh, mentorship, big piece in that. Uh, mentorship, I wouldn't be where I am today uh, without my mentors. And I will tell you that in a lot of things, and my wife will probably, you know, blush on this, but she is definitely a person who's mentored me. Uh, and, you know, she has been a facilitator. Uh, she's an AP now. She's in a uh, principalship program right now. So she's one of those individuals that I consistently learn from because she's much more real, well read than I am uh, because uh, she reads a different book almost every day. She's uh, one of those individuals. Uh, so I think you definitely need to make sure you have that good mentor in your corner. Well, that's the second uh, name drop for your wife. So shout yeah. out again, because yeah. I tell you, my wife is a mentor and I was listening to you and I would summarize as I feel I want a mentor that's going to keep it real with me. Yeah. You know, you, you were, you know, we were describing it different ways, but I'm like, just, Hey, Frederick, you know what? I like how you did this, this, you know, don't do that again, do it like this, or think about doing it like this. Right. Um, someone that's not going to just tell you that how amazing you are and everything that you do is great because gosh, it's, it's a learning experience. Uh, I mean, I'm still learning. You're still learning every, uh, every single day. And a lot of people ask me, well, Adam, how do I find 
a mentor. I think finding a mentor is actually kind of like dating. Like when you're single and you're dating, you, you know, you, you put yourself out there. And as, as, a, as an educator, if you're looking for a mentor, put yourself out there in a way where you want to connect with people. You let people know that you want to learn from other people. And that mentor, that right mentor, I think will find you. But you can't just, it's like dating. You can't just sit at home and expect to meet somebody. It's the same thing with, with being a leader and wanting a mentor. You got to put yourself out there. So yeah, they're not just going to come knock on the door and say, hey, do you want me to mentor you? So I've, I've definitely found that. And I actually tell my, my current uh, leadership person uh, who's over me that, hey, when I screw up, I need you to tell me. Mm -hmm. And we had a great conversation the other day. We said, hey, you told me if you screwed up to call you. So I'm calling you because mm -hmm. this has occurred and it needs to be fixed. All right. I got you. I appreciate you. I appreciate that more than somebody that lets you uh, fall by the wayside and just say, hey, hey, I was there. If you needed me, you never did come to me. So mm -hmm. I know I'm, I'm letting you know in advance. Uh, I'm not perfect. So but definitely. Yeah. So you're a principal. You're a father. You're a husband. Frederick, are you a hard worker or are you a workaholic? Oh, uh, now that is a tough one uh, because you find yourself um, trying to not be the latter. You try to find yourself not being a workaholic. Uh, and that is a danger of all individuals and leadership position because you can find yourself at work uh, every day until eight or nine o'clock in the evening. You can find yourself bringing everything home and working on the weekend and the holidays, trying to get things perfect. Uh, I know that I have a family and I have to make sure that I use my time wisely. Uh, so I definitely uh, am a person that works hard, uh, but not a workaholic, uh, because I try to make sure that I time uh, things where I can spend time at home and focus on, you know, just maybe if it's just binge watching some television with my family, uh, if it's just going for a drive, going to get a bite to eat, whatever it might be, I want to make sure that I have that time for my family and I'm not giving everything to the job. I was once told by one of my mentors, man, if something happens to you, you need to understand that they'll have, they'll have a replacement for you the next day. Uh, if something happens to you, your family will never be able to replace you. So uh, always make sure that you do not make the job your life, uh, make the job a part of your life. Uh, and I think that's definitely the difference between working hard and being a workaholic. Uh, those individuals that have nothing but the job, I would tell them to get a life uh, because in the long run, uh, your school may do great things or your company may do great things, but uh, you as a person, uh, you need connections outside of work. So never be a workaholic, you know, try to have some safeguards in place that show that you're becoming that. And hey, I need to stop. If I spend more time at work than I spend at home uh, with my family and friends, uh, then hey, something is wrong. Uh, so, you know, that 40 hours uh, for me, I may push it to a good 50 hours a week, uh, but I try not to push it to that 65, 75 hours a week. Uh, when I was a beginning administrator, I did that and it was a mistake, uh, but now I'm much more understanding of what it takes to be a leader. So I try not to turn my life over to the job. 
Yeah, I'm a firm believer in when you are happy and you're healthy and you're balanced at home, you're just going to be happier and healthier and balanced at work and you have to take care of your family. All right, Frederick, the president calls you and he says, uh, Dr. Frederick White, I want you to come to Washington, D.C. and I want you to be our next secretary of education. Frederick, what are your priorities? What do you do? Like that's a big job. What do you what do you do? Uh, go. Wow. Well, there are there are two really important pieces that I've been talking about lately. Um, you know, and one I've been talking about for years. Uh, that's uh, salary for teachers. Of course, uh, we are. You know, educators are some of the most underpaid individuals for the things that they do. You know, you can be dealing with uh, parents, scholars. Uh, outside agencies, uh, you can be feeding the kids, clothing the kids, everything. And they are, it, professors are uh, underpaid, underappreciated uh, and overburdened. Um, you know, it's with the testing and that's another thing that I have uh, issue with uh, a lot of the, you know, state mandated testing that goes on, which, uh, pushes our kids further and further away from uh, true understanding, but we call it accountability. Uh, so uh, looking at the pay, uh, looking at the testing, but uh, right now with COVID, my biggest thing is what are we going to do with these kids uh, coming up? Uh, our kids right now are uh, with the virtual learning. It's a piece that has kids at home with their game system over here, their computer right here, another distraction over here. Uh, we know that if we look at the numbers right now, the number of kids failing uh, across the country is outrageous. I mean, it's outrageous. Uh, the numbers have uh, you know, tripled uh, with failing scholars since we started the pandemic. So I, I would think that my first thing would be how are we going to fund schools in a way to make sure that they can make up as much ground as possible without overburdening the professors and the scholars? Uh, because we'll get into this thing in education with federal dollars and, uh, and local money that, hey, if you don't, you know, if your kids are not at this level, then, you know, you're not going to get X number of dollars. I think that's that's wrong for us to place that burden on uh, professors. So you're asking us to make up for this year and a half that our kids have been lag lagging behind in such a short turnaround. And if we don't, then X number of dollars won't go to your school, your city, your state, whatever. Uh, so finding a way that we can get scholars where they need to be without putting all of that weight on the back of educators uh, and not, you know, making sure that the funds that are sent are stuck in somebody's state department or central office or wherever they may be. So making sure that that happens. So uh, those three things for me are definitely the most important. Uh, the pay for our professors dealing with this lag from uh, coronavirus and, of course, dealing with the system of testing. Uh, and I'll jump on testing one more time and I'll probably get in trouble for this because my wife tells me I always do uh, for, you know, when we deal with testing companies uh, and educators and principals know this, uh, 
we deal with companies that test our scholars and the only people that can uh, score those tests are is, are the company. And the only people that can tell you how your kids are faring is the company. Uh, the people who can change the test are the company. I mean, so when you when you when you get into this cycle where the company sort of controls um, the you know your parent growth of your scholars, I, I think we get into a dangerous place where this is you know hey if the kids aren't doing well let's I mean if the kids are doing too well let's change the test. It's, obviously, it's too easy for them. So. You know, I, I think we get into trouble when we have these companies uh, that are that that have the whole ball of wax. They run everything from the creation to the scoring to the to the uh, evaluating to the giving back information to the changing it. Too much, too much for uh, one group. Yeah, so, yeah. That's the company is setting the standard, and then they're shifting or moving the standard, and they're saying what is acceptable. And that could be a five-hour podcast, uh, Frederick. Definitely. I mean, Definitely. I mean, just and then just they're talk. selling you the books. Then they're selling you the books to uh, get your kids where they need to be to pass the test. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I've, it's crazy. I've long said, you know, assessment is important. Yes, assessment yeah. is important, but one test on one day should not be the the marker and the grade and the association to a school or a, or a, or a leader or a student or a teacher that just, uh, that decides so many, so many different things. It's not, it's not fair. Uh, Frederick, if you could have one job for one year, what would that job be and why? And if you could have one job for one day, what would that job be and why? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, that's a deep question. Um, I guess if there was one job that I could have for a year, uh, and I guess it really depends on the the authority that I would have, it would definitely be uh, that Secretary of Education uh, position because I think that uh, we definitely have to have a bridge between the federal uh, and the state levels so that there's not this huge disconnect with how money is spent and the conversation that is had. Uh, I've, I've always thought that our our educational secretary needs to make sure, secretary of education needs to make sure that they come to the local areas and really talk to teachers, talk to uh, administrators, talk to, you know, have town hall meetings so they can get real feedback about what changes need to occur in education. I think too often we have people sitting in these lofty positions that do not really listen to what's going on at the base level. If you don't know what's going on with the kids, the parents, and the teachers, and you're sitting in this high position, what change, what difference are you truly going to make in the lives of the kids, the parents, and the teachers? You're not. You're you're making you're making decisions based on uh, lobbyists. You're making decisions based on uh, surveys, uh, whatever that might be. I still think you need to get to the ground level and talk to the people that have skin in the game. Uh, if, so if I could sit in that seat for a year and make some foundational changes to the Department of Education, I would. Uh, and and just to make sure that. We have we leave a legacy of putting kids first, putting educators 
in a position where they can really do the job that we want them to do. Uh, we spend too much time telling educators that, hey, uh, your kids need to be at this point, this point, this point. Where did we lose the job of teaching the whole child? Where did we lose the job of that our kids are more than, as you said earlier, a single test score? Uh, it's ridiculous that we put you know, all of this on a kid on a single test score and say, hey, this is what the kid is about. I said, that's not a good uh, rater of a child's potential. So uh, definitely if I could sit in a job, if I only had a day to do a job, uh, wow. Uh, uh, maybe uh, sit in a Bill Gates seat for a minute and, and put some of those good dollars into uh, play uh, without all of the uh, uh, stipulations that he put on uh, the funds that he used, uh, that he gave the uh, uh, schools. So yeah, maybe sitting, sitting in his uh, CEO seat for a while. Man, I am all about uh, yes to the first part. Yes, yes, yes. And the second part about Bill Gates and giving money away, man, I've always wanted to make a ton of money and then just give most of it away. Like, I don't want it. I mean, I have what I need. How much stuff do you need? Uh, there was an article, um, Jeff Bezos, his ex-wife, the Amazon guy, they, they got divorced and she got like $40 billion and she gave like, five billion dollars away in one month to colleges junior colleges universities in um in areas that didn't have the support uh that other places get i forget all the parameters but uh i'm like how fun would it be to just give money away um you know right. like you said without all these stipulations but with some stipulations yeah, yeah, to like how some, the money yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. the money's going to be used yeah. or, or whatever so um, I love it. Frederick, part of this podcast is amplifying the voices of my guests. So I'm going to pass the microphone over to you, man. What would you like to say to all the people across this country that listen to this podcast? Close us out. Uh, definitely, definitely. I appreciate that. I think um, one of the biggest things that I would say, um, and this is to potential educators, uh, because that's my heart and my, my love. Um, when you go into the field of education, Make sure that you go into this field with the understanding that the most important thing that we have are our kids. I've always told individuals that I don't want to work at a school where my child couldn't go. And I see so many educators and principals when they're at a school uh, send their kids to other schools. Uh, and they would not trust their child at the place where they were teaching or they said that they were teaching. Uh, my son has gone to the school where my wife worked, uh, then to the school where I work. Uh, now he's in high school, which we dare not tread, uh, only to visit. Uh, but I think that every individual needs to understand that if you're going into education, and our superintendent here in Shelby County says this a lot, uh, make sure you understand that it's hard work and hard work, uh, that you go into it knowing that you're not going to get all of the accolades. You're not going to get all the pats on the back. You're not going to get uh, individuals saying that, hey, great job, except for other people in our field. Uh, know that you're going in with those things against you but knowing that the value of seeing our kids 
grow, the value of seeing that spark come alive. Uh, I tell people all the time, there's nothing like seeing a kid get it. There's nothing like seeing a kid, oh, I understand. I mean, that is worth all of the bad days that you will ever have as an educator. Uh, for my leadership people, I will tell them, make sure that you are that a good leader. Make sure that it, you understand what it takes to be a good leader. Know that it takes heart also, that it takes courage. Uh, it takes the ability to have hard conversations. It takes the ability to stand uh, for something. And don't get so lost in keeping a position or gaining a position that you don't do the work that's required of the position. Uh, we have so many people that in attempts to keep a job, they will stop doing their job and just do dog and pony shows. And, and that's not what it's about as a great leader. Um, we, I, I read this book um, and I wanna say that it was Switch. Uh, Switch was one of the books that talked to me about being uh, a good leader. Uh, and the uh, five, I think the other title was the uh, five, it's not disorders of a uh, five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah, that's it. Five dysfunctions of a team. That was another great book. Patrick Lencioni. Yeah. When you mm -hmm. get into these books and you start understanding the concept, and I told you, I'm not, I'm not big on always remembering the titles of the authors, but understand the concepts of things that you read as in, as a leader, uh, embrace those things, see how you can use those things to make your company, uh, make your organization better. And don't think that it's always going to be about you. It's about the organization. How can you improve your organization? Uh, sometimes you take the back seat when it comes to improving the organization. All right. You may not get uh, uh, the credit for it, but go ahead and do what it takes to make your organization better. And in the long run, and you said this earlier, you will benefit uh, if you have a balance of doing well for the uh, organization and looking out for yourself. If you have a good balance in that, uh, it, it, it will help. Once again, balance in everything that you do is going to make you a great leader. So yeah, that's, yeah. My, that's my spiel. Uh, <laughs> I'll look into it. I love it. You are important, but if you think it's all about you, I think you're wrong. It's about, it's about the people around you. And when you develop other people, you're actually going to go so much farther, so much faster. You're going to have more fun and you're just going to build so much capacity and people. Frederick, it has been so awesome talking to you, man. We might need to do a round two to get into, uh, to get oh, into testing. testing. Yeah. I may need to have your wife on too. We might need to do yeah. a little, a little duo. I want, I want to hear some Frederick yeah. stories because you're talking about your wife um, and how she supports you. I think it's uh, I think it's super important. Everybody listening. Thanks for all you do. Have an absolutely amazing day.